The story here, we all know it. Jesus had been preaching. He's in the wilderness. I don't think we comprehend wilderness. You know, we get somewhere where we were just talking to uh, somebody the other day about the the upper peninsula of of, uh, Michigan. And how that's wilderness because you you drive and who were we talking to? Oh, the reaches. That's right. Um, the, you drive an hour and a half and uh, no gas station. That's a wilderness to us. I don't think we get wilderness. Wilderness. Nothing. Nothing there. And Jesus had been preaching in the wilderness, and four thousand people had followed him. 4,000 people had followed Jesus and the disciples and listened to him preach. And now it's getting towards the end of the day. And Jesus said uh, it was obviously time to dismiss. And uh, Jesus said, give me this if you would please, Rob. Jesus said, we got to do something for the multitudes. We got to feed them. They're not going to make it home. They haven't eaten. And the disciples said, uh, how about that? We brought our lunch. Jesus said, no, we have to do something. And he persuaded them. Jesus is pretty persuasive. He persuaded them to give up their lunch. And he turned their lunch, their meager lunch, into enough food to feed 4,000 people with leftovers. Amazing. Now, I don't understand how that's possible, but I also don't understand how there's an oak tree inside of an acorn. So I do know it's possible because every oak tree testifies it is possible. Jesus just sped up the process a little bit. To take a little lunch and turn it into thousands of lunches. But I want you to see, in just a few minutes here, I want you to see what God sees that we don't see. First of all, we see what can't be done. God sees what must be done. Listen to what Jesus said. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from afar. Jesus saw a problem that had to be solved. The disciples saw a problem that couldn't be solved. His disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And we as human beings, we get so caught up on what can't be done. And hey, let's be honest. They had a point. It couldn't be done. But we get so focused on what can't be done that we don't see what must be done. Part of growing up is learning to understand the concept of what must be done. Remember you're doing some project with your parents, you're a little kid, and maybe you're raking leaves or some, you know, wonderful task like that, and Dad said, we got to get this all done before dark. And you're going, there's no way. There's, we'd have to skip lunch. I'd have to miss my afternoon cartoons. 
There's no way we're going to get this all done before dark. And dad said, you don't understand. We have to get this done before dark. Part of growing up, you got a job. And your boss said, this has to be done by 5 o'clock. And you said, but we can't do it. And the boss said, you don't understand. This has to be done by 5 o'clock. And you were amazed to find out that you actually could get it done because this must be done. I went to Bible college, and I was a, I was a, a, a dumb kid, and, and I got on a bus route as a bus worker. And my bus captain was uh, Brother John Francis. He was a fellow student. We were uh, students together, lived in the same dorm floor. In fact, he lived in the next room over for me. He's now the bus director. Get this. Is this crazy or what? He's now not only the bus director, he's the father-in-law of Brian North. That weirds me out when I think about it. So I'm a freshman. The budget was tight there at the church at that point. It always has been. And uh, they're running all kinds of buses, but the budget is so tight that for all these uh, well over 100, probably over 200 bus routes, they couldn't afford enough buses to give every route their own bus. So we were, we were putting two routes and sometimes three routes on one bus without overloading. The capacity is 72 people. So if we were sharing with another route, we could only bring, what is that, 36 people. And one day, Brother John says, hey, the big day is coming up and we're going to have 150. And somebody said, how are we going to have 150 people when we have only have space to bring 36. And Brother John said, I'll get the buses, you get the people. And he had a strategy, and he laid out his strategy. And what we didn't get was, we saw what couldn't be done. Brother John saw what must be done. I've never met anybody in my life who had more of a passion to reach people than Brother John Francis does. He saw what must be done. And by the time it was all done, we brought 158 people on that Sunday that he had in, uh, in, in his sights. I'm saying to you, God sees what must be done while we can only see what can't be done. How many times have, have I set before you, by God's grace, with God's leadership, some goal, and your first reaction was, we can't do that. I'm not going to take the time to go through the list of things when we first started talking about it. Look like there's no way we can do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the manpower. Money and manpower are always the two great lacks for God's work getting done. Money and manpower. You say, we can't do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the manpower. How many times has God put something in my heart? Where my first response was, God, we can't do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the manpower. God sees what must be done while we see what can't be done. When we support a missionary in every country on the globe, we will just be getting started at fulfilling the Great Commission. When we have helped start a church in every town and city in the Northeast, we will just be getting started at fulfilling the Great Commission. I mentioned Thursday night, Brother Zach and I going, and then uh, Friday, uh, Amy and I during the day went. By the way, this church planners conference, it was the fourth year they've held it. 
It's uh, always in Jersey, just across from New York City, somewhere in that area. Last year it was in Hoboken. This year it was in Newark. But it's always been a Thursday and a Friday. Next year it's going to be a Friday and a Saturday so that ideally nobody has to get off work to go. Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to push for as many of you as possible to make this a priority. It will change your perspective on the ministry. It's unbelievable. Let me tell you a little bit of what we saw the other night. We walked in and, and everybody got, among other things, we got this booklet right here. Brother uh, uh, Phil Rizzo, Pastor Phil Rizzo, uh, he's, he's been here before. He, leads, he started the conference. He leads the conference. He is a businessman. He knows business. He's brilliant. Uh, he graduated from Villanova before and went into business before God uh, called him to preach, and then he went to Bible college and uh, uh, and then started a church. We were given this booklet. There were 19 church planners all going to the Northeast. I want to read you the list. This is what God's doing. This is what you're going to have an opportunity to support. This is a list of the 19 men, where they started or are starting, and when they're starting. Please don't tune me out right now. This is awesome. Brother Tony Barbosa, East Providence, Rhode Island, started in September of this year. Brother John Barnes, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, already started May of 2014. They have, I think there's a, about three years before and three years after, something like that, where you can go to this conference and give financial support. Philip Bishop, Amsterdam, New York, starting in the fall of 2017. Aaron Brown, New Bedford, Massachusetts. He came here to camp meeting a couple of years ago. Aaron Brown, he was the only guy that's ever come to camp meeting that was taller than me, if you can picture who that is. And uh, that's a church restart. Uh, the church dwindled down to nine people, and literally the building is falling down around them. And uh, Brother Aaron Brown is in New Bedford, Massachusetts. He went there in February of 2016. His brother, Ian Brown, he's starting a church in Quincy, Massachusetts, and he's starting fall of 2017. Philip Gage, Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, he's starting in the summer of 2017. Chris Grimbalis and Jay Maine, he started in September of 2015. Craig Hodge is going to uh, Quarryville, Pennsylvania, and started his church in May of 2016. Sam Knickerbocker, Brother Steve, is starting in Dover, Delaware today, starting a church. Is that awesome or what? Brother John Laffineer started in Fairfield, Connecticut, September of 2014. His wife has ALS. Hospice is in their house. She's down to 6% of her breathing. He was at the conference on Thursday and Friday because she insists that he goes. They are in the Lord's work together. Joe Lusk started in November of 2014 in Rockville, Maryland. Jaron McFarland, Oxford, Maine, starting in summer of 2017. Jacob Reed, started in April of 2015 in Eastern Maryland. Brett Reitenbach, Brother Corky, Greenfield, Massachusetts, 
started in September of 2015. Matt Souza started in Wolcott, Connecticut on the 1st of, of January 2016. Joshua Town starting in Philadelphia, June 11, 2017. James Vaughn, starting in Maryland on January the 8th, 2017. David Wilt started church in Staten Island in May of 2014. Rick Winkler started in Manahawkin. Did I say that right, Brother Mark? Manahawkin, New Jersey, September 13th, 2013. 19 church planners. 19 churches starting around, either have recently started or are starting around the Northeast. Here's some men that didn't look at what can't be done. They looked at what must be done. Want you to notice something else from this story. We say, what can I do? What difference can I make? In one gospel, one of the apostles said, what are these among so many? What can I do? But God says, what do you have? Verse 4, his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, he asked them verse 5, How many loaves have ye? We have something in the New York City area that the rest of the world lacks. Do you know what it is? Buttered rolls. Yeah, buddy. Last week, Brother Dalton said, we're going to the city. We're, we have an, a, a reservation at this cool little place in Greenwich Village for lunch at 12, 13, 15. So he says, so we'll just grab a biscuit before we leave to hold us over till lunch. I didn't tell him. That was a text. So I said uh, last uh, Saturday morning, I said, I got a bad news and good news. Bad news is we don't have any biscuits here. I said, good news, we have something better. And I had bought him a butter roll. Now, my opinion is the best butter rolls come from 7-Elevens. That's been my, and unless, unless you can find a deli that will make it for you while you're, that's, that's the ultimate. Um, I bought him a butter roll, and, and uh, he agreed that, well, I'm not sure he agreed that it was better than a biscuit, but uh, it, it uh, I believe it is. Jesus was asking the disciples for their butter roll. That'd be a hard one right there for me. See, in order to do this thing of reaching the world for the gospel, God's not asking for you to sell your house and live in a tent. God's not asking you to sell your car and ride a bike. He might be asking you for your butter roll money. He might be asking you for your Starbucks money or some part of it. Now, hey, that's the sacrifice. You see this right here? This is not cake and ice cream and pie. This is buttered rolls right here. So that's no small sacrifice. The invitation to the message in a few minutes is going to be, what are you going to do for missions in 2017? If you're doing nothing right now and you think, I can't do anything, can I challenge you to start at a dollar a week? 
Say that. You, you don't know how tight our budget is. A dollar is four quarters. That means four times a week you salvage or scrape up a quarter. You stick it in an envelope. At the end of the week, you seal the envelope. You write missions on the outside. You throw it in the plate. By the way, if you don't designate where the money's going, it doesn't get to missions. You've either got to write on the outside of your tithing envelope or you've got to put it in a separate envelope. You've got to make sure that the financial people know where this money is going. Your tithe should always just go straight to the church. I'm just telling you that's a Bible principle. We don't have time to talk about that. Your tithe keeps this work running here. But, it, but you designate. So you say, I, I have not given anything to missions, and I don't think I could afford to. You want to keep missions on your mind and do something that is precious to the heart of God. Four times, you challenge yourself four times a week, I'm going to squeeze a quarter out of something. I'm going to put it in an envelope at the end of the day. On Sunday, I'm going to seal that envelope, write missions on the outside, and throw it in, in, in the offering. But that's if you have given nothing and you think you can't. Listen, every teenager in this room could do that. I believe every kid in junior church could do that. A dollar a week. A dollar a week. If you already give to missions, let me urge you to hopefully you have considered and prayed about it this week, go up somehow, some way. Increase what you've given in the past. We're, we're moving from monthly to weekly this year. So you could take what you gave last year and just divide it by four and convert that to weekly. You won't be giving any more. And, hey, we certainly will appreciate that, and, and, and God's work will certainly be helped by that. But can I urge you to, to consider increasing what you give to missions, this doesn't help me. I'm not here asking you, hey, give some money so my wife and I can go on a cruise. I'm not doing that. We've never done that. I've been in churches where they did do that. I've been in churches where they passed the plate four times until enough money came in to send the preacher on a vacation. I've never done that. I never will do that. That's not what this is. This is going to send missionaries to get the gospel to places that you'll never have a chance of getting the gospel to. I heard, I heard a message by Dr. David Gibbs this week where he told of a man that he met in an airport. Are you ready for this? A businessman who had increased his missions giving for the year, increased his missions giving for that year by $5,000 a week. Increased it by $5,000 a week. Say, well... If I was a successful businessman, I, I would do that. Of course, we all love to talk about what we would do if we had it, don't we? How about you think about and pray about what you can do? We say, what can I do? God says, what do you have? I want you to notice that God multiplies what we give as we serve where we are. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks and, and break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. They had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. They that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Next question. How many of you have ever worked 
one time or as your occupation as a waiter or a waitress? Raise your hand. Okay. Those of you that just raise your hand, how would you like to work in a dining room of 4,000 people with 12 waiters? Four, I mean, what did we have last night? 35 or 40 in this room and just a couple people serving them. And that was <gasps> 4,000 people, 12 waiters. So Jesus is multiplying the food. They didn't, you know, I think we picture the disciples standing there. Wow, how's he doing that? They weren't doing that. He was handing food and they were running it over to the people. Handing them food and they're running it over to the people. They fed 4,000 people till they were full. Jesus said, you serve the people in front of you. I'll multiply what you gave. You gave up your seven loaves. You gave up your fish. You serve the people in front of you. I'll multiply what you gave. God blesses your faith promise money on the other side of the world while you work the bus route here. You serve the people in front of you, God blesses what you gave. God blesses your faith promise money on the other side of the world while you visit your Sunday school class here. While he's knocking doors in Myanmar, God blesses you knocking doors here. While Scott Mercer is passing out tracts in Thailand and God's blessing him through your faith promise giving, God's promise, blessing you as you pass out tracts here. While you get the gospel out here, God blesses the work and blesses the money that you give throughout the work. Can you just comprehend your $10 a week or $5 a week or $50 a week reaching people for Christ around the world? Last thing I want you to see. God gives us back far more than we gave. Verse 8. So they did eat and were filled. They took up of the broken meat that was left. Seven baskets. Uh, how many loaves were there to begin with? Seven. How many baskets of leftovers were there? Seven. Every loaf they gave, loaf they gave up, God turned into a basket full. So because they gave what they had and were left with nothing, they were left with seven baskets full to share. So if they had let the multitude go away hungry, they, the 12, 13 of them, at least 13, Jesus had a bigger team than that, but let's just go with 13. The 13 of them would have sat down and said, all right, what would you guys bring? Seven butter rolls, a couple fish. Well, there's 12 of us. That means we don't even get, we just barely each get a half a butter roll. Oh. That, that would have been the, the meal after the crusade. But because they gave and were left with nothing for a few minutes, they each got to split a basket. One basket per two disciples. We've all heard it said, you can't out, can't out give God. But God can't outgive you 
if you don't first give to him. According to the Bible, tithing on your income is not giving to God. And I don't have time to teach that. I've taught it before. I teach it at just about every offering. It's not giving to God. It's not sacrifice. Tithing is what we owe to God. It's what's required. It's what is expected of us. We don't start to give until we give over and above 10% of our gross income. There's no better way to start giving to God than to support world missions. Here's the invitation today. What will you give to missions in 2017?